that's okay. I can talk louder. <laughs> Excellent. All right, start over. No, I'm just kidding. In the, in the course, we saw 11 different movies, and all of the 11 movies we saw, I remember one. It was the movie High Noon. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie High Noon, but it, it had several characteristics to it that I kept thinking about as I was working this sermon, because in High Noon, you have a flawed hero, someone who has the strength to be the leader of this town, but he has some flaws, and you never really know exactly what it is that keeps some of the town people from rallying around him, but there is something there. You can't, you're not sure, but regardless of that, the hero continues to maintain his duty that he must do, and then word comes that the bad guy has been released from prison and will be arriving on the noon train, hence the name High Noon. And he knows that that man is coming for one purpose, to try and kill him. And so throughout the movie, there's this tension of the clock marching towards High Noon. And then today, we're going to be looking at a man named Samson. And even though there wasn't a train and there wasn't a message, he's marching towards his high noon. And we're going to see what that leads to. Now, some of you may be saying, Samson, I think that's an Old Testament character. It is. Why the Old Testament? I love the Old Testament personally. The Old Testament gives us so many stories about our life today and how we can learn the lessons that the people in the Old Testament learned. Not only that, but every time you study someone in the Old Testament, the Old Testament presents them warts and all. They don't gloss over the failures of these Old Testament characters. And so we can read about these characters and we can say, you know, that's just like me. I struggle that way too. So as we look at our, our book today, Judges, we want to start first with the title. Because if you're like most of us and you hear the title Judge, what do you think of? Think about the guy in the robe, he comes in, he's going to apply the law. But that's not what this Jewish word meant that we use for the title Judges. First and foremost, a judge was a deliverer. He was to deliver his people from the oppression that they were experiencing. And then, having completed the deliverance, he was supposed to live a life that was exemplary of a godly life so that the people could look at him and say, that's how I'm supposed to live. Now, what we find in the book of Judges, unfortunately, is quite the opposite. In fact, taken as a whole unit, the book shows us this slow descent into total chaos because of the lack of faith of God's people. It starts off even on a bad note. Joshua has died, the people gather, and the people inquire of God, and they say, well, what should we do now? And the word from, comes from God, 
and they say, well, Judah, you need to go and finish the task of getting your inheritance. And the people of Judah, empowered by all the miracles they've seen God do, look to their brothers from the tribe of Simeon and say, hey, would you come help us? That's not what God asked them to do. He said, you go possess the land. And they was like, okay, God, we'll do that. Simeon, give us a hand. We'll, we'll give you a hand later on. So they start off on the, the wrong foot. And eventually, we read about the tribe of Dan. Dan doesn't go to their brothers for help. They don't go to outsiders for help. They kind of look around the land. They go, well, boy, those are some big hill fortifications. Let's just live here in the valley and learn to coexist. And that's what they do. The key passage in the book of Judges comes from the 17th chapter, verse 6. And it's right after the Samson story. You say, well, why are you starting after the Samson story? If we're going to be talking about Samson, you'll see. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. What does that mean? Everyone did as he saw fit. No. Paul kind of put it this way. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles. It's a perfect picture of the end of Judges. The people not following God, commingling with the Canaanite people and following the Canaanite gods. To further understand this passage, we can flip over to Samuel. And we get a, the full impact of the verse 17.6. But when they, the people of Israel, came to Samuel and they said, Give us a king to lead us. This displeased Samuel, so he prayed to God. And the Lord said to him, Listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. At that time, the people had no king, and they did what they saw was fit. That's where we end up in the book of Judges. One last thought about the background of Judges. As the people go through the book of Judges, we start off with the enemy being on the outside of Israel. It's the Canaanites, the people who are there that they must push out. But by the end of Judges, starting with this chapter 17, the enemy is within. Israel turns on itself and almost wipes out the tribe of Benjamin. The failure of Israel becomes complete by the end of the book of Judges. So let's look at Samson and see what we can learn from this, the last of the judges, who, by the way, was also the least effective of all the judges. 
chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites, there's those people from Dan, had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. A couple of interesting things in this passage. Up to now in the book of Judges, every time Israel found itself in a bad situation where they were being oppressed because of their faithlessness, the people would come to their senses and they would cry out to God, deliver us. But that passage is lacking here. Yes, we see the faithlessness. Yes, we see that God delivers them to an oppressor. But there's no cry out. But God, in his love for his people, says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to intervene. And what he does is he appears to this woman, and he says, your son is not going to deliver. The passage says, is going to begin the deliverance. God is going to have to work in history to make his people understand that there is a better way to live. And so the birth of Samson's foretold. Now if you want some homework, because I only have so much time, but if you want homework, read the rest of chapter 13. And then you can come to me and we can talk about how Samson's parents weren't the greatest believers. In fact, there's a real question as if they were believers at all. So if you enjoy that kind of thing, it'd be a great discussion. I'll talk to you Wednesday about it. <laughs> All right. We get to the conclusion of this foretelling of Samson's birth in 13, where we see the woman in verse 24 gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. The name Samson, by the way, is derived from a Canaanite god. So Samson was named after the Canaanite sun god. It starts to sound good though because he grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him while he was in Mahina Dan between Zorah and Eshtael. I love these names. Samuel is born into this situation. His parents aren't all that godly, and yet God's still working in his life. God works in all of our lives in some way, in some fashion. Verse, uh, chapters 14 through 15 set the stage for who Samson is. We're not going to look at all that, but I'm going to tell you that the beginning, that Samson went down to Timnah, 
and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now, get her for my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines for a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. Now, I'm not a parent, but I'm sure that those of you who are parents, that's probably always been your hope and desire, right, when your kids get old enough that they tell you, I like that car. I want you to get it for me. I like this house. I want you to get it for me. Isn't that, isn't that what you desire for your kids? That's what you I, I see some quizzical looks. And just, uh, so I guess I'm not understanding parenthood. I thought Samson was the perfect child. But even, even with this going on, verse 4 assures us his parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. God's at work. Even in this, what we could say, unholy situation, God is at work. He's bringing about the deliverance. And the first thing that he has to do is make the people of Israel understand that the status quo is not good. The status quo has to be changed. And so the rest of 14 and 15 are the exploits of Samson, and they reveal some characteristics to us about Samson. First, we find that just like his parents, Samson's not real godly. He's motivated by self. We kind of get that picture when he sees this Philistine woman. I got to have her for my wife. And then he he seeks vengeance and this begins to set up a scenario in 14 and 15 where Samson does something to the Philistines and the Philistines retaliate. Then Samson feels like, well, they did this to me. Well, I'm going to do that to them. And it just keeps escalating. Finally, we get to a point where it looks like things may change. Samson destroys this wheat field and the Philistines come looking for him and Samson's hiding out in the territory of Judah in a cave and the Philistines show up and this is in verse 9 of chapter 15 the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and the men of Judah asked why have you come to fight us and they answered we have come to take Samson prisoner to do to him as he has done to us then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave and said to Samson, Don't you realize the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? If there was ever a clear picture of how bad things have gotten in Israel, here it is. The men of Judah, 3,000 strong, come to Samson. They say, Wow, Samson... The Philistines are here. Don't you know they're, they're our rulers? Why are you upsetting them? We just want to live in peace with the Philistines. We don't have an issue with what's going on. Please, can't you behave, Samson? And here, with an army available to Samson, here with an army poised 
from the Philistines, Samson has this great opportunity to say, you know what, men of Judah, God called us to take this land. We need to offer a sin offering, repent of our sins, and then go against these Philistines and end that rule. That's what he could have done. But he doesn't. He turns his back on his calling and he says, well, I tell you what, you know, tie me up and turn me over to them and, and everything will be okay. And that's what they do. And he kills a thousand Philistines, but no deliverance comes out of it. The men of Judah are placated and everything goes back to the status quo, except now the Philistines have got to figure out some way to get back at Samson. What we learn about Samson throughout chapters 14 and 15 is that Samson has no regard for parental authority. He has no regard for his calling. And he has no regard for God. We see it because he touches dead things. He's supposed to be a Nazarite set apart. They weren't allowed to touch dead things. He eats things he's not supposed to eat. He has no regard for authority. He is a perfect picture, picture of the self-centered, egotistical, live-for-the-moment human being. He's just like us. See how great the Old Testament is? Boy, here's Samson with every tool possible to, to be a great leader in Jewish history. We could read about Samson just like we read about Joshua and Moses and any of the other great leaders of the Old Testament. But Samson lives in the here and now. I can't be bothered. All this deliverance thing just seems like it would take too much time and effort. And besides that, the people don't want it. They didn't come to me in the cave and say, deliver us, Samson. They came and just said, hey, why are you irritating these Philistines? Samson misses his opportunity. And it finally delves down into chapter 16 with the famous story of Samson and Delilah. Delilah, another Philistine woman that catches Samson's eye, he begins seeing her. The Philistines find out about it. They come to her, find out how Samson's strength, where does it come from, how can we defeat him. A series of events happen that should have tipped Samson off that Delilah wasn't good for him. But he finally tells her his secret. He falls asleep. His hair shorn off. The last vestige of his promise to God to be set apart and be uh, living for God is taken from him. And the Philistines capture him. Put him in captivity. Take his eyes. And a blind Samson is forced into hard labor. He's dwindled, spiraled down into the final degradation of his life. The Philistines are thrilled about this turn of events. And so they have a feast. And in that feast that's captured in 16 verses 23 through 30. 
It says, Now the rulers of Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, saying, Our god has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their god, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste to our land and multiplied our slain. And while they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson so that he can entertain us. So Samson was brought from prison, and he performed for them. And when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars of the support temple so that I may lean against them. Again, hope begins to build as we read this story. Has Samson finally come to his senses? Has Samson in the midst of his spiritual and physical darkness finally realized that the true salvation lies in God? Yeah, kinda. Samson says, it says, Samson prayed, O sovereign Lord, remember me. Starts off good. O God, please strengthen me just this one more time. Let me get one blow to get revenge. On the, on the precipice of finally getting it, Samson again focuses on himself. All right, God, here I am. I'm in this situation. There's not a whole lot left I can do, but... Strengthen me one last time, and then that way I can have final vengeance. God hears his prayer, and in verse 30, Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus, he killed many more when he died than when he lived. What a sad statement. Samson, who had the tools to be the great deliverer, fails to deliver. In fact, the best that can be said about him is, when Samson died, he killed more Philistines than when he was alive. So what can we learn from this passage? What, what's the lesson? How do we apply this to our life? This person that lived thousands of years ago, well, the first thing we learn is that our biggest barrier to our relationship with God is ourselves. We are the biggest barrier to our relationship with God. In fact, I love what Paul says when he's talking about his own inward struggle. In Romans 7, he says, So I find this law at work. When I want to do good... Evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man am I. I'm stopping there because the solution comes next. And it's a reminder to us that just as we saw God at the beginning of the Samson tale working 
through his grace with his people who have turned their back on him. God's taking the initiative. God has a plan. God's going to work deliverance. Paul puts it this way. Who will rescue me from this body of death? He's crying out for a deliverer. Who is my deliverer? How can I be delivered from this horrible state? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God loves every one of us, and he knows we can't live that perfect godly life. Yes, he provided Moses the law. This is how you should live. This is the way you should interact with me. But he knew even then, man is not going to be able to live up to that. When he foretold Samson's birth, he knew Samson would be self-centered and that he would have to work certain ways with Samson to start accomplishing his will, and he does that. He begins to set up this, this anger between the Israelites and the Philistines that's going to eventually get resolved. And he does it because God loves his people. And Paul tells us God loves each and every one of us. And each and every one of us has this war going on inside of us. And each and every one of us can have that war taken care of through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on a cross and resurrection. We have the opportunity to be delivered. And then who is our judge? Remember that definition of judge earlier? It's still Jesus. We can look to Jesus' life, how he lived day to day, recorded for us in the Bible, and say, I have to live like that. I need to learn to live that way. When we look at the differences between Christ and Samson, it makes it even clearer. Christ came and lived for us. He put himself last. He put God and us first. Samson did just the opposite. My prayer for you today is that you will put God first. You will study the life of Christ, and you will let Jesus be your deliverer. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this lesson about Samson, and what a reminder it is to each one of us that we do struggle there is a war within us. We want to do good, but we tend to do bad. And Father, we thank you that in our state, you loved us enough to send your son to die and be resurrected so that we have hope and no condemnation found in Christ. We lift this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.